Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is, uh, well, he's a best-selling author, former Trump fixer, and author of a new book called Revenge. It's my pleasure to have with us today on the show, Michael Cohen. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, always good to see you, Brian. Always good to see you too. We're gonna we're gonna pay the bills quickly, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the new book, Revenge. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. With me again is best-selling author Michael Cohen, former Trump fixer and current author of the new book, uh, Full Disclosure, which, which of course, I helped participate in, uh, Revenge. And, uh, Michael, I guess uh, the first question I'll ask you off the bat is, uh, initially, we both... Well, Brian, I think before we actually get into that, I do want to acknowledge something. What's that? In the book... In the book, at the very, very beginning, right after the dedication to my wife, my daughter, and my son, I have an author's note where I'm going to read it out loud. Oh, well, thank I you. Want to thank, I want to thank Brian Karam, without whom I would not have been able to get the insider information that was essential to get this work completed. He conducted many of the interviews included here. I knew of him peripherally as one of the reporters covering the White House, who occasionally sparred with Donald Trump. <laughs> I said occasionally. Yeah, it was more time. like every time. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew he was the guy I wanted to help me on this book after he stood up to Trump and beat him in court three times to keep his press pass. When he asked the important question of Trump, will you accept a peaceful transfer of power? And Trump became the first president in history to say no. I also knew this was a guy who got it and understands the dangers of Donald Trump and the Department of Justice. I also knew that people wouldn't necessarily want to talk to me at the Justice Department, <laughs> but would more likely open up to someone who was known for honoring confidences. That, as it turns out, is invaluable among those of the inside who want to see the Department of Justice reform. And so, Brian, I want to thank you for everything everything that you did this book would not exist today without your help and well, so for that i do i thank you i thank you for everything your professionalism your friendship your sense of humor um oh, understanding. i love your sense of humor too <laughs> well i appreciate it there's a lot of humor in this book yeah. but um 
you know, all of the hard work that you put in on things that I obviously could not have done. So with that, um, thank you again. Well, thank you. I, and one thing that you point out there is uh, one of the reasons why I was attracted to you were the first person and you said it in Congress. You said it pointedly. You did not. And this is way before I ever asked Trump the question. You said you didn't think he'd give up peacefully, that he would not walk away from what what gave you that impression even way back then well remember i know donald trump very very well i sat <laughs> shoulder to shoulder with the guy you know for almost um you know 11 years and i know that once donald trump tasted power that that became the single most intoxicating thing for him and so taking that away from him would not be easy. And when I started to listen to the rhetoric that was going on early on, before the rhetoric became so apparent to everyone, that if he lost the next election, again, also knowing his incredibly fragile ego, his man, you know, his man baby ego, that he would never, ever um permit a peaceful transfer of power, especially not to somebody like Joe Biden, who Donald Trump believes is inferior to him. Well, he believes everybody is inferior to him at some point. That's right? also true. Yeah. The the, the thing that uh, I go back to, the, the book is called Revenge. Why that title? Why now? So it's actually a little bit more than just revenge. It's revenge. How Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. Why now? Because it's never been more important if, in fact, we want to retain democracy. You know, so many people fail to understand that democracy is not a right. It's not a constitutional right. We are an experiment and an experiment that seems to be um, enjoyed by other countries as well, or at least wanting to be like the United States of America. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about democracy. He doesn't care about anyone or anything. There's two things that he cares about and only two things, and that's power and money. And if you ask me which one I think is more important to Donald, I would say power, because his belief system is with power, you can get money. He also does believe that with money, you can buy power. But once he tasted that power of the presidency where he declared himself to be a king with privileges that far exceed what the Constitution or any of our founding fathers ever anticipated a president would want, he took it, or at yeah. least he tried to. Well, you know, you, and you point out uh, how he weaponized the Department of Justice. When I listen to his rantings and ravings about the uh, about that being done today, I, quite honestly, I have to laugh because when working with this book, it two things became abundantly clear to me that Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice to go after you and others. And I know you don't like to, uh, I know it, it, it's difficult for you to talk about your time that you went back into prison, but in talking with those people, when I spoke with those people that were your jailers and those people who had you in their care, I, and I tweeted this out one time. I think there's no, there would be no greater justice for Donald Trump than to be confined to that same jail cell they put you in in Otisville with a broken sink and a broken toilet and a broken window and 150 degree heat and a corrugated tin hut. 
but um, I think that would be the ultimate justice. But speak a little bit to how he accuses Biden of weaponizing the Department of Justice when, in fact, he did. Well, it's typical Donald Trump. And the term, of course, that I use often is deflection. Whatever it is that he knows that he has done, that he is guilty of, what he will do is he will deflect and he will make the argument that it's not him. He's always the victim. It's somebody else. It's not that he would ever go after somebody by using the Department of Justice. But here comes the deflection. Joe Biden would, right? The Biden administration would. And that's why they raided his property at Mar-a-Lago. Um, it's exactly the opposite. Again, Donald Trump has figured out that his supporters enjoy seeing him as the victim. Why? Because everybody likes a David versus Goliath battle. And in this case, he thinks of himself as the David fighting the Goliath United States government, the Biden administration, and he will be victorious. Why? Well, because he's Donald Trump and because his supporters demand it. And in so doing, what does he also do? He gets on and to his truth social, which is the funniest name for anything. He gets on that and he starts asking his supporters for more money. Yeah. We, I, we patriots have to fight my friends. I mean, it's amazing. He truly has a Stalinistic Hitlerish type of approach to dealing with his supporters. And he is truly a danger to democracy. Yeah. And his supporters, no matter, I mean, uh, no matter what facts I present, no matter how I present them, for example, uh, you know, some of them will tell you that it's, yeah, Donald Trump is a victim. I'm the one, uh, you know, I'm the enemy of the people. At the same time, Donald Trump says he supports free speech. I get 14 emails a day from this guy telling me I'm the Patriot of the Month. Just send him $250. Um, and I, I find it, I mean, you worked with a guy. I, I don't, when you say he deflects, I think it's, I, I, do you think he actually believes himself to, or what he, how he casts himself or that it's merely a role that he's playing to make money and power? Yeah, I believe it's a very good question. You know, do I think he believes his own bullshit? The yeah. answer is yes. Wow. And that's why that's why he's a sociopath. Moreover, he's not just a sociopath. He's a narcissist. And so when you combine the two to a narcissistic sociopath, this is exactly what you get. You get somebody who can look you dead ass in the eyes, dead dead in the eyes and lie to you to your face with a conviction of truth. No different than you may have seen recently that Donald Trump was required to turn back over certain documents to the National Archives, to NARA. And in them included his love letters, which personally, I wish to God that I could see because I could just imagine Donald Trump spooning with <laughs> Kim Jong-un. I mean, if that's not a sight that'll make you vomit, you know, you know, all these people who are on weight loss systems, forget about all the fat. Just think of the two of these two guys spooning, right? And that should certainly get rid of your appetite. But for a while, end, just the mental image alone for, is enough to make you vomit. Let's, yeah, then go back to it again. Yeah, so, let's, you know, what, <laughs> what, what he'll end up, that, but this is what he does. He lies and he went and he said, I returned everything. Everything was returned. In fact, what do we know? 
after a search warrant was executed on his property, a lawful search warrant based right. upon obviously substantial documentation, information, etc. And I still believe that it was Jared who probably provided information, which is why they knew that it was true. Um, they executed the search and they found another dozen or so boxes, including top secret information, some of which is nuclear. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, and you're not wrong when you say the supporters, they don't care. It's like there's nothing that this man can do that would change their mind into he is the second coming of Christ, which they also put out. They put out flyers that Donald Trump is the second coming of Christ. And QAnon supports him. And but his his I, I would say his support is has eroded. I mean, polls show that he doesn't have the popularity he once had, but the people that are left, the people who swarm around him today are by far uh, the most dangerous of them all, the, the tending to be the most violent. Uh, there's still millions and millions of them who believe, as you said, he's the second coming of Christ. How dangerous is he out of office? Do you believe he's going to, uh, he'll, he'll file for um, candidacy in 2024? Well, I've always maintained he will not. I mean, this is part of his great grift. Why would he go back into doing this belief system right now is that he is the kingmaker. If you want to get elected, you need to come to Mar-a-Lardo and you need to kiss the ring. All right. That's really that's really what what he believes, that he will be able to control the president. Whoever it might be simply because he will support them. His supporters will back them. Unfortunately, what he doesn't realize is that, as you just stated, his popularity is waning, and it's waning on a regular basis. Now, the thing that scares me is the question of who then will the Democrats run? Yeah, right. And despite the fact that I believe that Joe Biden is doing a fairly decent job, do I think He's doing a great job. Do I think that everything that he has done so far, I agree with the answer to that is no. Right. However, at the same point in time, I believe that he is doing a good job for the country. Um, problem being, he age, he's, you know, and that's yeah, not he's his fucking old. <laughs> he, yes. And, you know, when you have certain gaffes that are being made and then promoted and promoted and promoted, over and over and over by the right-wing media about right. a gaffe that Joe Biden made, forgetting about the fact that Donald Trump made them virtually every day. No, That's no. Okay. several times but every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is all about Joe Biden and his dementia, his inability to yeah, and that, cognitively that's, run this country. That's the deflection, too, because, look, Joe Biden, I've covered him for 30 years. He's a gaffe machine and always has been. I, it's not a sign of dementia, but what bothers me about the Democrats is they're content to saying we're better than Donald Trump, and that's a fucking low bar to crawl over, pal. I would love to see it also, aim yeah. a little higher and, and at some point in time, but the bench strength on both parties sucks. It's uh, also the notion, it, Brian, it's also the notion that we could beat Donald Trump in a election simply by putting anybody up against right. him. And I think that that's a mistake that the, that Democrats 
should have learned in 2016. Hillary was not the right candidate. I believe anybody else would have been able to win other than Hillary for whatever the reason is, she well, is incredibly and she could, unpopular. And she could have won had Comey kept his mouth shut. <laughs> that's the, De- Debatable. By the way, that's debatable. She's a flawed candidate. What the Democrats have to do is they have to look for, and look, I've been a Democrat my entire life. People don't understand that. We talk about that in the book. I've been yes. a Democrat all my life. In fact, in 1987 and 88, I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley while I was in college at American University in Washington, um, who was, you know, respected. Oh, he was a regarded, um, Yeah, he was a great, great guy. You know, and look, as long as the Democrats run somebody serious, somebody who has an appeal, I don't think that there's going to be much choice um, especially if Donald Trump tries to even do it. He knows he can't win. You know, I don't even know if he can win a Republican primary, let alone a general election. And then let me just take that back to the whole point of his fragile ego. Yes. If he would lose twice to be a two-time loser, that would be very difficult for him to stomach. Yeah, well, he, he's having – he still can't admit the first time he lost, and he thinks he won. I If he thinks he won, then how can he run because – the Constitution limits you to two times in office, but that's another story. Let's get to the book a little bit about what is in the book uh, that you haven't that that you think is the most newsworthy that people should be reading. What's the what's the biggest revelation in the book that you think people should know about? Well, actually, I think that every chapter of the book contains like new answer. revelations. <laughs> well, I say that simply because one of the things when you and I first started speaking, and you asked me this question. I said, you are a journalist who's been covering Washington, the White House, politics for quite a period of time. And I asked you what you think you know about my story. Yeah. And you may recall that I said to you, that's inaccurate. And then you answered again. And I said, that's also inaccurate. And that's why this book was, is so important, why it's so relevant because it shows you what can happen to not just me. I use myself as the example, but my hope is that nothing like this ever happens to any other American ever for as long as, as long as this earth continues to rotate. My prayer is that nothing like this ever happens, that we never have a disgraceful attorney with a willing and complicit attorney general who weaponizes the Justice Department to go after a critic. Think about, we've seen this before in history, right? What's the first thing that you do? You shut down somebody's First Amendment right to speak, basically turning media into state-run, you know, sponsorship media. And then what do you do? You bring in military in order to back your position, like what happened on January 6th. So all the stories that came out in the media, where do you think that they were coming from? They were coming from the Trump spin machine. Yes. And because I was told by my counsel, you cannot say anything, you can't go on television and defend yourself because judges don't like that. I mean, we talk a lot about judges too. And I do yeah. again want to just acknowledge your 
incredible assistance. The fact that you were able to get Judge Jed Rakoff onto the phone and to answer for was well over an hour questions regarding my case where he was scratching his head as well and saying, I don't get it. That's why reform of the justice system is so desperate. And the other people who you were able to bring in, you know, members of the FBI, the, you know, the DOJ, some retired, some still working there. The story people think they know going back to the beginning where it all started with the fake steel dossier all the way to the unconstitutional remand. They've put me through hell. I mean, I thought I, I thought I knew what tough times were. I have legitimately been to hell. I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like. to Yes. Be and in it's hell. a room painted and, by Donald Trump. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll uh, dive a little bit more into that. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. With me again is best-selling author and former Trump fixer, Michael Cohen, talking about his new book, Revenge. And one of the things you point out in the book, uh, Michael, is, is you spell out a couple of really pointed ways to fix the Department of Justice. And if we look at the history of the Department of Justice, I mean, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and his G-men and all that, there was always a, hell, G, J. Edgar Hoover had his own, if you want to use the term, deep state, he kind of ran that the way it was, the way he wanted. But after he left, there was the idea that it would be impartial, and it was there was there was a, a concerted effort to do so. Not so much today. Um, and when Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice, you saw some specific things that needed to be fixed. What do you think they are? Well, I think the whole system is in need of overhaul. First and foremost. Almost, I personally don't believe that Supreme Court judges should have tenure for life. I also don't believe federal court judges should have tenure for life. Uh, these people are political appointees, which means that they've kissed the ass of their party so significantly that they end up getting, you know, these seats. And they are political, regardless of whatever they say. There's so much that needs to be fixed. The prosecutors, and that's something that Judge this Jed is Rakoff you talk about went, a lot. Uh, I, and I talk about it in the book with, yeah. again, thanks to your help, with tremendous uh, specifics and specificity. One of the things that Judge Rakoff recommends, as an example, is that when it comes to plea deals, there should be an unrelated third-party judge involved. Think about this. 
I had no idea what they were talking about when they came. They raided. I didn't have. I didn't sweat it. You asked me that question. I didn't right. sweat it. Why? Because I'm not a guy who's really committed crimes. Right? Yeah. Ultimately, yes, I pled guilty to five counts of tax evasion. I've never tax evaded, and that's covered heavily in the in the book. In fact, I have never. I have never been audited. I've never filed even a late tax return. I've never, like Paul Manafort, had overseas bank accounts or any of this stuff. And we go into that very heavy so that people understand, right? They could force you to plead guilty to anything that they want you to by basically holding a gun to your significant other's head like they did with me. On a Friday at 5.30 p.m., for the first time speaking to the Southern District, to a guy by the name of Kazami, what did, what, what did they say to my attorney after meeting with him? You have until Monday for your client to come and plead guilty. And at that point in time, they didn't even tell me what I was pleading guilty to, other than say tax evasion, a misrepresentation, and then campaign finance violation. They didn't go into any specifics or... We're filing an 80-page indictment. We're going to perp walk you and your wife out of your apartment, right? And we're going to indict and arrest you both. Now, now I don't know about any of your listeners. I, at the time I was married, uh, going on 25 years, there was not a chance in the world I was going to let anything happen to someone who I love as much as I do. And I knew that this is not a threat. I've seen them do it. In fact, there were several people in Otisville with me whose wives were in Danbury simply because the prosecutors have to have a win. And why do they need this big win? So that they could go and that they could claim that we have a 98% conviction, conviction rate, rate and go off to the big law firms, the Davis Polk, the Lowenstein Sandlers, the Paul Weiss. You know, one of them went to Guggenheim Partners None of them are as qualified as they think they are. You are the tough guy in a fight when the other guy basically has a rubber band and you have a gun. Yeah, that's what that's what this is about. That's well, uh, and pushing that forward a little bit, you know, uh, before we I, I guess, you know, your critics say that, look, you wouldn't be saying any of this if Donald Trump hadn't put you under the bus. But you take a, or conversely uh, that. What you experienced is what many African-American people have experienced through the justice system, and they've been saying it for a while, but we didn't, you know, you weren't able to see it because of your white privilege. How do you address those two critics? I don't argue with the second at all. Um, you know, I was always of the belief that, you know, police do not, the FBI do not investigate people who haven't done anything wrong, people who are innocent. Um, I think my case is somewhat different. Um, in their cases, it's local, but nevertheless, the ultimate result is they are right. And it's not specific to just white privilege. There is an overabundance of incarceration in this country for reasons that I do not know, both white collar as well as, you know, we'll call it nonviolent possession of drug cases, you know. It's a problem. That's why I said previously, the entire Justice Department has to be overhauled. Now, do I think that some of the recent overhauls uh, are good? 
um, like the stop in, you know, stop and frisks, which police will tell you is an incredibly important tool. Their job is to protect. And it's difficult to protect when your hands are tied. There has to be a balance. And the problem is, this is the big problem. Republicans and Democrats do not see themselves on equal planes. Each one's goal is to take out the other. It Politics has become a zero-sum game. And okay. unless we start doing things that are bipartisan, this stuff will never change. And, you know, when you start to see uh, some of the cases that are now coming out with DNA, where a guy was in for 20 years, 20 years off of a false conviction, simply because the prosecutor, the judge, they were all in cahoots. I have a real fundamental problem with that. And in fact, if they are still alive, my belief is that they should not have immunity um, from what they did. You know, they do, you know, they have, um, they have this specific immunity that they cannot be charged for acts that take place in their employ. And I say that that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I call that, I call bullshit on that. And I truly do believe that those people who did that to this, to this man should suffer the same consequences that they put him through. They belong in prison. And if they're 70, let them die there. If they're 80, let them die there. If they're 50, good luck getting out by the time you 70. I don't care. There has to be repercussions because if you run around with a shield and a gun and you can do whatever it is that you want, that's not America. That's Gilead. Yeah. You, now, uh, to the first question, and you've answered it many times about being with Donald Trump, save for the fact that he, you know, put you under the bus. Uh, what do you say to your critics today about that? I don't know the answer. And, you know, it's a very tough question because that's not what happened. Would right. I have, I'll tell you a lot of people in prison and we talked about this, a lot of people in prison, you know, criticized me, Trump supporters criticized me and said, do you realize that if you would have just kept your mouth shut, you'd be the first one to get a pardon. You wouldn't be involved with any of this nonsense. You'd be able to get your life restored Look at all the people around Trump who had issues that are now either working for Fox News, Newsmax, yes. OAN, for the RNC, for one of his super PACs. Don't forget, I raised like $18 million for Trump. You think that they wouldn't have put me back on the RNC Finance Committee, that they would have turned around and we'd blame it all on the Democrats? I have to look at my wife and my children knowing how much pain that this has caused them, there was no way in the world that I was going to be involved with this group of people, all right, um, to destroy our democracy, to watch what they're doing on a daily basis, to be a part of the grift. I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's fair. So you, you, until you were, uh, until your eyes were opened, you were there, but once your eyes were open, you left. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's, right. it's fair to say. Where do you think um, one of the things you helped start the invent? In fact, you did start the investigation uh, in Manhattan into the Trump uh, enterprise. And recently, you were uh, you were even acknowledged by Letitia, uh, who who came out and has filed a um, a um, civil action against Trump. 
Did you think that that would end in a, and do you think there still is a chance that it will end in a uh, criminal indictment for Donald Trump? Okay. So again, there are two New York investigations yes. going on. I mean, we could talk about all of the various different <laughs> litigations that Trump is involved in the Fulton County, Georgia case, right? Then you have the DOJ investigating January 6th. You have we'll also talk a DOJ. Little bit about that. And, okay. So first and foremost, I thanked Tish James uh, on television. Once my name came out, you can imagine, I think I did like 14 television interviews, maybe 50 uh, press and so on. And I thanked her for acknowledging the fact that I invested well in excess for all of my investigations over 400 plus hours and probably coming close to 100 just with the DA and the AG because their cases were combined. They were working in tandem. So when I spoke to the DA like more than a dozen times, there was a representative from the AG's office there. The documents that I gave to the DA were also provided to the attorney general. And so, again, I thanked her for what she's doing. Now, your question is, do I think that something will come out of it? There already is. What Tish James has done, right? You remember the unsinkable Molly Brown yeah. story? This is the unbreakable Tish James. She doesn't care about the attacks that are coming against her. She has now gone and referred this case to the DOJ as well as to the IRS. I've used uh, this uh, uh, many, many uh. times. I've used this many times. They could not get Al Capone on murder, extortion, racketeering. They got him on tax evasion. Does anybody, anybody who is not a Trump supporter care what puts this guy in orange? No. What puts him into a home confinement situation, unlike where any other president in history has ever been? And the answer is an emphatic no. We do not care what puts him away so long as that he's finally held accountable, finally, for the first time in his life, held accountable for his own actions. That case also, again, has a second um, arm to it, and that's the district attorney, which is a criminal case. And yes. we know that Alan Weisselberg's case, um, he pled guilty. There's a case against the Trump organization at the end of the month, the end of October, that's going on trial. And what that could end up resulting is additional charges against Trump, his children, and several other individuals. And I say that because while Weisselberg makes the claim that he will not testify against Donald Trump, that may be true, but he will testify against the Trump organization, which is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, right? It is his eponymous company. Every single action that takes place in that company is directed by and approved by Donald Trump, plain and simple. And so at the end of the day, you do think that Donald Trump will be indicted. You've said that on many I, occasions. I do. I do. And I, I, I think I, I do too. And I, I, and let's talk a little bit about January 6th. They have pointed out, the, the critics there say that they haven't directly tied Donald Trump to anything that occurred on January 6th. I may or may not agree with that. But at the end of the day, it certainly has pointed in a direction as, as to the danger that Donald Trump is. Do you think the January 6th hearing has helped to, uh, to um, frame 
what Donald Trump is in the eyes of the country? I think so. I think it's a incredible. It, I mean, if it wasn't true, you would think that it was a made up docuseries. What was going on first? You know how Laura and Eric Trump hijacked the rally that they turned into a march uh, over at the Ellipse. Uh, then thereafter, the comments by so many individuals from Donald all the way to, you know, Rudy Colludi, Giuliani and others. People were hurt. They attacked the people's house. They broke in. They built a gallow to yes. hang Mike Pence. They wanted to kill that. Nancy Pelosi. I mean, you know, police oh, officers. Saw Josh Hawley running like a scared little rabbit away from the, that was Josh Hawley. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's just a, he's just another one. It's there's so and last it's in sad, my neighborhood 30 minutes. <laughs> it's sad because there's so many of them who are so anti-American in their actions. And they could sit there, raise their hand, fist pump with a bunch of Oath Keepers and, you know, and other um, organizations that went there for the sole purpose of wreaking havoc. Uh, this was all discussed the night before in the Willard Hotel, the Steve Bannon war room, so to speak. These people are traitors, plain and simple. And I believe that the January 6th hearings have really laid out with very, very good detail a timeline of who, what, when, where, and how this whole thing was created. It was um, run and then the repercussions thereafter. So I give it, you know, I give it a definite, you know, A in terms of what they've accomplished. Do I believe that anything in terms of a DOJ, in terms of a referral, will it be like what happened with the Mueller investigation where nothing came out of it? We should have, we should have indicted Donald Trump after the Mueller report. We yeah. should have we should have nailed him for simply my statements to the Mueller team. And again, if you read the Mueller report, I mentioned more than anyone else in that report other than Don McGahn. And I told the Mueller team, and it was proven, that I was in Trump's office when Roger Stone called and Donald put him on you know, speakerphone, which is what he always did. And Roger told Donald, that in a couple of days, there's going to be a massive dump of emails that's going to destroy the Clinton campaign. Several days later, I'm referring to the Podesta emails, right? Right. That he was working with Julian Assange. All right. That in and of itself is problematic. And it, look, if it could put reality winner with one document on Russian collusion away for five years, picture what something like this could be. Right. But it was... Did, and here's the, my question. I mean, you're in this room with these people. Did and and you know we've talked, you know, a lot over the last year. Did you did you ever just sit there and go, these fucking people? What the fuck? I mean, did you ever go, a they're really fucking stupid, or or b I can't believe this is fucking going on? No, in fact, they weren't stupid at all. They were very organized, methodical. They had a Good lot point. of information. Um, do I think that? They put forth a incredible report. Uh, I would say it was no, I'm a talking solid about the in the Trump in the Trump sphere. Did oh, you? in the Trump sphere. Yeah. I mean, I scratch my head every day 
and ask that question. Seriously? I mean, you know, and the same with the Trump supporters. Now, you know, I'm not a big fan of Dana White because he's a big supporter of, of Donald and so on. But I did hear him say something um, which I actually agree with him and I respect him for. And that is, if you dislike somebody because who they support, that's about you. That's your character. And so, you know, I would say only because it's so personal to me when I make the statement, because I listen, I follow Dana White since UFC one. Right. And up until the point where people are now supporting Donald, even after you've seen everything that's going on, whether it's sexual assault cases, national security cases, whether it's insurrection cases, whether it's finance cases, whether it's even cases like mine with an unconstitutional remand of a U.S. citizen to prison, making me the first political prisoner held in my own country because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment constitutional rights to what you see with the attorney general, the district attorney, not just in New York, but in Georgia and elsewhere. This isn't funny anymore. So how do you support them? So my belief is that their character is somehow flawed, very much like mine was when I was working for him. Why I continued, I have no idea. Um, He does have a certain charm which is why that cult of Trump exists. Why I did it, to be honest with you, my friend, I don't have an answer. We're, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We'll have uh, some final thoughts. Stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question with me is best-selling author and former Trump fixer Michael Cohen talking about his new book Revenge and uh and some of the I you know you, you said earlier Michael about um sense of humor. One of the things that I remember working on this book with you is there were quite a few laughs that we had and I enjoyed some of it. Is there anything <laughs> that, that sticks out in your mind as the funniest? Well, well with that I'm going to have to tell people there's there's a lot of comments um, after each, you know, almost after each paragraph uh, that are, you know, humorous. But, you know, they always say that humor is funny because, in essence, it's true. Yeah. There's a level of truth to it. Uh, there's a lot of truth into even the humor. I use the humor not necessarily because I'm a funny person. It's really because What's so funny about me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's really more because <clears throat> I'm so twisted and torn up and broken inside that for the sake of my own family, that I have to put on a happy face. I have to try to be the jovial person that I used to be 
because they too have suffered more than enough, you know, at the hands of Trump and his administration. And so if you're writing a book and you want the book to be successful, first of all, you have to be honest, but you have to be true to your own voice. And I fought very hard to bring in that humorous part because every day you could ask this of anyone uh, who has gone through the system, forgetting about like in my case, um, when you go through the system, there's an aspect of your soul that just gets crushed, especially when you're innocent of the charges that are being brought against you and you're powerless, absolutely powerless to do anything about. And I've never allowed someone to take my power from me. You know, I wasn't the kid who was backing down from a fight. I was the guy who was running into it, especially if it was to protect someone who was less capable. And that's the saddest part about the whole thing. The judge, Judge William H. Pauley III, didn't read a single one of the 50-plus letters that people sent in. And we could all get people who we know to write letters, but my letters spanned an entire group from people who I knew for 40 minutes who I had helped, complete strangers, to people who were my friends for over 40 years. And the judge took no, he he took, he, I don't even think he read them, to be honest with you. Um, this no, was, I don't think they did either. I, I think there he were. He did not. And I think most people also didn't read. And this is something we talked about when finalizing uh, how the book was going to look. Most journalists never read, never read the sentencing memo, the Petrillo oh. sentencing memo. They read the government's, which was nothing more than like a mean girl's burn book. It was a lie. It was, it was designed to... Um, denigrate me, my character, to portray me in a manner which is unjust, it's untrue, and worst of all, it's unfair and illegal. And so every single day that comes out, we start to see something new, drip, 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 that validates everything in this book, Revenge. For example, Jeffrey Berman, the former head of the Southern District of New York, puts out a book stating that Bill Barr contacted the Southern District of New York wanted them to reverse charges that were brought against me, not with the taxes, not with the bank, um, but rather with the campaign finance because they wanted to whitewash Donald's name or the reference to individual number one from everything. Now, he claims that he held the line. And once again, I think he's an ass. I think he's full of shit. And I absolutely detest him, not just as being a former head, somebody who ethically should have have revealed what was going on back then. And I think it's on top of not just unethical, illegal. Instead, he holds on to that information for five years so that he puts out a book. There's a real problem with the system. And that's why I'm saying, you know, look, if you want to read this, if you want to read Revenge, obviously go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but you could also buy the autographed version which has on the website the forward and then an afterward that was written by my lawyer who got me out the second time from the unconstitutional remand um that's Danya perry 
as well as by Norm Eisen, who, as we all know, was like the ethics czar. Um, the they wrote first, the afterward. The very first guest I ever had on this podcast was Norm. Very good guy. And and, and he counts Amazing himself guy. as... Yeah, he counts himself as one of the people who admire what you've done. For me, at the end of the day, I'll tell you that um, there are people who are going to criticize you know, that you didn't become aware of what happened until uh, you know you, you lost your white privilege. But for anybody who's ever spent, and look, I went, you know, you and I've had this conversation. I went to, I didn't spend anywhere near the time in, in jail that you did, but I spent two weeks in jail over, a, a, a you know, keeping my mouth shut, a First Amendment case, four times. And what you went through on that second, when they hauled you in the second time, and the whole thing that you went through that day from walking into the government office to the shackles to being taken back to uh, Otisville to being thrown in that jail cell. If you are not moved by what the government did to try and silence you, then I submit to you that you're not a human being because it's uh, it, it was gut-wrenching. And for two weeks to have to go through that in solitary, in the heat, while obviously what was done was illegal, what was done to you was illegal. You I, know, that I, brought I, me up to, Brian that, Brian, that brought me up to 51 days of solitary confinement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that to me, if as an American, you cannot look at that and not go, that is wrong on the face of it. I don't care what the hell you, you, you they claim that you did or did not do. The fact that the government treated a, an American citizen that way is reprehensible and, and it, uh, above everything else is a good reason to call for the reformation of the DOJ. And again, I know you put some very specific reforms that you think should take place in the book. And I urge everyone to read them and to talk to their representatives and to talk to their congressmen to make sure that it gets done because it won't get done if people don't step forward and demand that it's done. Yeah, and listen, it's it's our democracy. You know, it's easy for people to point the finger and say, yeah, you worked for Donald Trump. One of the things that we write in the book is if everyone quit their job that worked for an asshole, there would be massive unemployment. <laughs> I tried to explain that Donald Trump in, in uh, 2006, 2007, when I started working for him, was he mean? Yes. Was he obnoxious? Yes. Was he loud? Yes. Was he also fun and lovable? Could he be? Absolutely. You know, you may remember during my house oversight, I said, is Donald, you know, Donald Trump, you know, could show acts of kindness, but he is not kind. Right. He shows acts of generosity, but he is not generous. At the time I started to work for him, I was put on the board of Miss Universe organization. It was a lot of fun. It was me, Donald, and Alan Weisberg. I was made co-president of Trump Productions at the time. He had The Apprentice. Blame all the people who watched The Apprentice. Oh, yeah. And that's probably many of your, that's probably many of your, you know, your listeners as well. Yeah, we have He was in real estate. He yeah. was a real estate developer. So did, did we screw over a group of developers uh, or I should say contractors and so on? The answer is yes. I talk about it in my earlier book, Disloyal. The answer is yes, we did. But does anybody really care other than the immediate people affected? Most developers, 
end up in fights with their contractors. That's why the contractors charged so much at the beginning. Was Donald Trump a louse? Yes. But there were times, too, he was extremely charming. It was not until Donald Trump ended up becoming president-elect, right, that he really showed himself, that he became the worst version of himself yes. imaginable. And, and so allow that when for everyone I say, else. Yes. So were there things that I did? Yes. Did I make the payment to Stormy Daniels? And we talk about this in the book. Here's something your listeners may not know. I did not pay Karen McDougal. Yeah. In fact, that was paid by David Pecker, AMI, and by the National Enquirer. All I did was review documents that Trump asked me to review to make sure that by David Pecker paying, and David acknowledges this, Google it, folks, right? Who paid Karen McDougal? David Pecker. Look it up. He gets immunity. He gets immunity from the Southern District of New York to testify against me. They gave immunity to everyone, to my banker. They gave immunity to this guy, Gene Friedman, um, who was the alleged taxi king that stole 30 million that was looking at like 20 years of prison to testify against me. And it was all lies. Every single dollar that I earned. And I write this in the book and I want people desperately to read it so that you know the true story and how the media was complicit with the government in terms of promoting it, not intentionally. That's the danger of Trump. He knows how to control the media to make, you know, you lie enough times, like Stalin would say, it becomes the truth. And if we don't stop this right here and now, I promise you, the America that we grew up in, our children, grandchildren, God willing, great grandchildren will never know. That's true. Absolutely. We have met the enemy and he is us. And on that, that's a great way to close. Michael, I, I appreciate you being here this afternoon. And of course, uh, you can catch him on Maya Culpa, his podcast. His first book is called Disloyal. And the new book coming out, uh, what, next week? Is it next? It comes week? out on the 11th. Of yep, on the 11th. And it's called Revenge. And tell us where we can find it. So you can obviously go to anywhere that you order your books online, but you can also order the limited edition, the autographed one that you can read the forward and the afterward at revenge-thebook.com. And Michael, thanks for being with us. The show has just asked the question. Thank you for being here and we'll catch you next time.